Well, good evening, Storehouse. Uh, I hope you guys are doing well. Welcome to my office. Uh, I know I say this on Sundays, but I just want to say that I, uh, I miss you guys and I hope that your week has been going well. Uh, if you are new and you're joining us online, my name is Marco and I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor uh, at Storehouse Community Church. And it's just an honor to have you join us uh, online. It's an honor to have you uh, worship alongside of us that even though we can't physically meet, that does not mean we are not gathered together. Uh, if it's cool with y'all, I'd love to just dive into our time. And, and, and so I want to invite you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 25 today. So while you flip through your Bibles, I just got a couple of things for you. Um, this week we have been observing Holy Week and we began that with Palm Sunday where we see Jesus ride back into Jerusalem and the people who are there praising him, uh, they are praising him for a completely different reason, for a completely different purpose than what he has in mind. You see, they were seeking him to be the one who would create political revival, but not Redeemer. To them, his triumphal entry was one of political reformation, not one that would lead to his death. However, to Jesus, he knew that his triumphal entry, he knew that this way, this route into Jerusalem would lead to his death. And so he rode into Jerusalem willingly as the sinless savior, as the sinner's friend, and as our redeemer. Today is Good Friday, and because it's Good Friday, we're going to look back and remember this as the day where Jesus was falsely accused and falsely arrested and falsely tried and inevitably was given the sentence of death by crucifixion. This is the day where Jesus goes up on a cross to die for sinners. This is the day where God dies. But make no mistake, this is a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. And in three days, or three days later, he rose from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. The work of God in Christ on the cross redeems sinners, but it doesn't end there. For his resurrection tells us that Jesus is alive, Jesus is well, and Jesus is seated on a throne. And so that begs us a question. What does Good Friday mean for you and I? And every Sunday, and just like today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a main idea. This is the main idea for our time as we look at 1 Peter. And the main idea is this, that Jesus, as our substitute and example, enables us to respond to suffering and hardship as sons and daughters of the Father, and not as slaves. And so in this time, I want to read 1 Peter. Um, again, we're in chapter 2, looking at verses 22 to 25. I'm going to read, and then I'll pray, and then we'll continue with our time. So Peter writes, He committed no sin, 
neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. God, as we come before you this evening, Lord, I pray that you would be at work in us through your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that as we examine your word and Peter emphasizes Jesus as our example and as our substitute, that we would examine the condition of our hearts and what that means for us. God, I pray that in this time we would reflect, look back on, praise and worship Jesus for his work done on our behalf. God, I pray that as we worship you through your word, we would be sanctified. God, I pray that you would receive all the glory and that in this we would be made more like Jesus. Again, that this would be for your glory and our good and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by addressing Jesus as our example because I think that's what Peter does. And we're going to walk through these very, very quickly. And so I want you to notice three things in the first two verses. I want you to notice that Peter says that Jesus committed no sin. We're going to talk about that. I want you to look that Jesus was condemned. We see that as he entrusts himself into the Father. And I want you to look at Jesus's redemptive conduct. And I might change one or two of those as we go on because that's just how I do. Uh, but let's begin with the first one, that Jesus committed no sin. I want you to know that, that Jesus lived a sinless life. And, and a life that is without sin tells us a number of things. Namely, it tells us that Jesus did not give in to temptation primarily because Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit. We talked a little bit about this on Sunday, that you and I really don't know temptation because you and I continually give in to temptation. So it might flee for a time, but eventually it makes its way back. Jesus, however, never gave in to temptation, and so he has experienced temptation at a level that you and I cannot comprehend. And he never gave into temptation primarily because he depended on the Holy Spirit. Now that is just a brief overview, a generalization of the life of Jesus. What I want you to look at, and this is what I want to change, what I want you to look at is the second point. Not just that Jesus was condemned, but that Jesus continually entrusted himself to the Father. Even when Jesus was being condemned, he continually entrusted himself. That just because it got harder didn't mean that he was looking to blame someone else, didn't mean that he was even looking to blame the Father, and it didn't mean that he was looking for an escape. Jesus didn't lash out or become defensive. He didn't threaten or insult. But because the Holy Spirit was dwelling in him, he knew that he could fully entrust himself to the Father, particularly in hardship and in suffering. Peter says that there was no deceit in his mouth. How often has there been deceit in our mouths when we feel threatened? 
Peter says that he did not revile in return, that he didn't return actions with worse actions or the same kind, that he didn't threaten when he suffered. That even in the midst of suffering and hardship, Jesus continually entrusted himself into the Father. Those two things, those two characteristics of Jesus tell us a great deal about what redemptive conduct means for you and I. It means simply that, that you and I can change the world through redemptive conduct. Not self-righteous conduct where we preach that we are better, that we are the morality kings and queens of the streets. Not a self-serving kind of conduct where we do things for our personal gain and motivation, but a conduct that is rooted in redemption. See, what, what Peter is telling us here is, is that Jesus is our example, is our template to respond to hardship and, su and suffering redemptively. Church, who did you respond to poorly this week? Who did you get defensive with? Who did you threaten? The question in these first two verses is, man, do we depend on the Holy Spirit so that we would entrust ourselves to the Father and respond redemptively to one another and to those around us. And I get it, you hear about redemptive conduct. You hear that Jesus did it and he depended on the Holy Spirit. And as we hear this, we still feel a little uh, discouraged because this may not necessarily be how we tend to respond. How in light of Jesus being our template and our example, how can we do this? Where do we receive the power to respond just like Jesus does? Well, the answer is in verse 24. Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I want you to notice three things in verse 24. And I'll just tell them to you right now. I want you to notice that in light of the work of Christ for sinners, is that we can walk in righteousness. Number two, that we have been healed. And number three, that we have been reconciled. So I'll walk through each one with you. The first one, walking in righteousness. You see, in bearing and becoming our sin on the cross, we receive the power to walk in righteousness and in healing. You see, for the Christian, Jesus has bore your sin, which means that you are actually dead to your sin and are now characterized by righteousness. But you need to know a couple of things. You need to know that the righteousness that you walk in, the righteousness that you have, is one that has been given to you by Christ. You see, on the cross, there's this thing that we call the great exchange. 
And the great exchange teaches that on the cross, Jesus bore all of our unrighteousness. In fact, he became all of our unrighteousness. And in exchange, he gifts us his righteousness. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He writes, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, that is in Christ, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness that you and I walk in is not one that we have earned. It is not one that we have achieved. It is one that was gifted to us by Jesus. We have received this gift of righteousness. Additionally, what this means is that you don't have to pay Jesus back for what he has done for you on the cross. I hear Christians talk about this over and over again, that the reason they serve is to pay Jesus back. And the reason they do good things is to pay Jesus back. We don't pay Jesus anything back. We don't pay back for anything. Instead, as a result of what he has done for us, we worship him. The psalmist in Psalm 103, uh, the opening verse says, My soul, praise Yahweh. Instead of paying him back or, or desiring to pay Jesus back, Christian, you can't. And instead, he, he beckons you to praise him with everything you have, everything in your soul. He beckons you to worship him. And we worship him because of what he has done for us. Further, this means that you, Christian, do not walk around like the morality police. That you walk around telling people what to do and why they're doing it wrong and why you're better than them and why they don't know. You don't walk around trying to pursue always being right. You don't walk around with a self-righteous attitude or a self-serving motivation. It, walking in righteousness means that you are dead to sin and you walk in humility. In fact, it means quite the opposite. It means that you are reflecting the grace and mercy of God in Christ to others. It means that you consider others as more significant than yourselves. My fear, my concern is, is sometimes we view the work of Jesus as a convenience and as the green light to tell other people why they're wrong. That, that rather than loving them where they are, we climb this mountain of self-righteousness to tell them why they're wrong. And I know that as we hear this, I know that as I was writing these notes earlier this week, I know I can write them and become quickly discouraged because I know that I repeatedly fail in these areas. I repeatedly fail as a husband and as a father where I do become the morality police rather than walking in a righteousness that points back to the person of Jesus, rather than considering my family's needs as more significant than my own, I walk around self-righteously and sometimes self-servingly. And I know you must face some of the same discouragement sometimes. But here's what I want you to know. It is the cross. It is the cross where, where Jesus 
died on behalf of sinners. It is the cross where we return to in order to be reminded that by his suffering, our forgiveness has been secured. That is through the work of Jesus for sinners like you and me. Through his suffering, our forgiveness, our redemption has been secured. Christian, I want you to know you are forgiven. There's nothing to pay back. You, you don't have to walk around self-righteously because there's only one who's righteous. And that includes the righteousness that you have in you doesn't even belong to you. You are forgiven. And if you've lost sight of that, let me, let me encourage you to return to the cross, to remember that Jesus' work for you secured your forgiveness. The second thing that Peter tells us in verse 24 is that by the wounds of Jesus, we have been healed. You see, not only did Jesus uh, bear our sin, but he also bore our guilt and our shame. Not only did he become our sin, he became our guilt, he became our, our shame, he became our anger, he became our fear. And I know you walk around with that sometimes. Let me tell you, if you belong to Jesus, there is now no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Your guilt, your shame, your anger, your feel, excuse me, your fear was nailed to Jesus on the cross. And so as a result, not only not only did he bear your sin and forgive you of your sin, not only did he uh, release you from the power of sin, he has healed you. Jesus has healed you by his wounds. Your guilt, your shame, your anger, your fear has been nailed to the cross with him. It's no longer yours to carry because you walk in righteousness and without condemnation, healed. The third thing that Peter tells us, um, or that Peter ultimately gets to, is that through the work of Jesus on the cross, we are reconciled. Reconciled is just a fancy word for relationship. What this means is that prior to Jesus's perfect sacrifice on the cross, there is a division. There is separation between man and God. And by Jesus entering into human history, living in our place, dying for our sin, freely gifting us the grace that you and I cannot earn, through that work, he separates, or excuse me, he tears down the fence of separation so that man would be reconciled, brought into relationship with the Father. As a result, as a result of being reconciled to the Father, it makes us sons and daughters. I'll say that one more time. As a result of Jesus' work on the cross, as a result of Jesus reconcile, reconciling us to the Father, we become sons and daughters. I want to talk a little bit more about this because I know that might also spark the question, 
how are we to be sons and daughters? How did we become sons and daughters? I, I get the reconciliation part, but how does that work? Well, verse 25, Peter says, for you were straying like sheep. So he's talking about who we were, who we were uh, before Jesus, who we were outside of Jesus. We were like sheep straying, running from him, doing what we wanted to do. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus on the cross accomplishes redemption. In the New Testament, redemption is often used in the context of slavery. That is, when an individual is enslaved, in order for them to be freed, they need to be redeemed. And a currency needs to be used in order to free them. They need to pay. Someone needs to pay in order to release them from slavery. On the cross, Jesus accomplishes our redemption by his blood. You see, outside of Jesus, we are enslaved to our sin. Paul says it this way, that we are slaves to unrighteousness. And as a result of who Jesus is and what he does, he pays really, really good money for sinners. His own blood. And as a result of him buying us out of slavery to our sin, we are no longer slaves, but sons and daughters, because we have been reconciled to the Father through the Son. Who we were is no longer who we are. So church, I want you to hear me out on this. As sons and not slaves, you need to know that if, if we are going to follow Jesus, then we need both Jesus as our example and our substitute. You see, here's, here's the concern that I have. The concern that I have is that, that many view Jesus as their example only. What would Jesus do wearing the bracelets, uh, live like Jesus, respond like Jesus, do good things like Jesus, and they would dismiss his substitutionary atonement, his work on the cross for sinners. At the same time, there would be many who are ultra-conservative and would make much of his substitutionary atonement, his work on the cross, but they dismiss his example, and that might be you. You might say, Jesus bore my sin on the cross, but I'm never going to be able to be perfect like him, so why try? Essentially, the atonement becomes a convenience. What Peter tells us in these couple of verses, these three verses, is that you actually need both. And you need to know that Jesus bore your sin because that's the power that enables you to be the person who desires to follow Jesus and who desires to be like Jesus. Earlier, we talked about Jesus as our example. In an effort or in order for us to be like Jesus, we need to know that that power comes from his work on the cross for sinners. Additionally, you need to know that Jesus is your example so that you would stop generalizing and excusing your sin because Jesus died for it. Yeah, we need to take responsibility, and Jesus shows us how. 
Jesus is both your example and your substitute. And as a result, it allows us to respond to suffering and hardship because that's inevitable. It allows us to respond to suffering and hardship as sons and daughters, not slaves. When you experience suffering, when you experience hardship, suffer and respond like Jesus. You see, suffering and hardship are not meaningless. Jesus demonstrates that for us. Suffering and hardship are not meaningless. They are redemptive. And when we respond like Jesus, we are sanctified. We are transformed more and more into his image. Christian, let me, let me just close with this. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a son and you are a daughter to the Father. And this has been secured for you through Christ. What is it that you dismiss? Do you dismiss the example of Jesus or do you dismiss his atonement? Stop running. Return to Jesus. Repent of self-righteousness. Repent of self-serving motivations. Repent of, of excusing your sin. Return to Jesus. What Peter says, now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you don't know Jesus, one, I'm so thankful that you're here with us. And I also want to be honest with you. That if you don't know Jesus, you are a slave to your sin. But the beauty of Jesus is that he offers you redemption. Not more money, not a better circumstance, not a new car. He offers you redemption that by his blood you would be freed from your slavery if you would just repent and believe in him. He is absolutely ready to pardon any sinner who turns to him. Stop running. What is it that you are afraid of? You might have experiences with the church. Let me just, you know, kind of pause for a little bit. I want you to think and consider about the person and work of Jesus. Stop running because he invites you to come to know him. As we close our, our time of Good Friday, Remember, church, he is, he is alive and well. In a couple of days, we're going we're gonna to celebrate even more. And because Jesus is alive and well, because Jesus has redeemed us from our slavery, because Jesus has now reconciled us to the Father, 
let us worship him as sons and daughters. Let's pray. God, as we close our time, Lord, my prayer is that we would surrender ourselves before you. My prayer is that uh, you, Holy Spirit, would humble us right now. Um, that you would humble us so that we would man, confess our sin. Uh, and so that we would repent of it and fix our eyes on Jesus. Would you hear our prayer? And would you forgive us of our sin? Holy Spirit, would you do a work in us so that we would entrust ourselves into the Father because of the work of Jesus for us? We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And the truth is that it's not enough, but it's what we have. God, may this time have been a time of worship to your glory and for our good. Amen. Church, I'm so thankful that we got to hang out, even if it was just online, uh, for Good Friday. I hope that you enjoy the rest of your evening and certainly your weekend. Uh, be sure to tune in on Sunday at 1030 for our Resurrection Sunday sermon. All of that stays the same. And um, before you go, I just want to read you some scripture. This is what I leave you with. This is Romans 6, beginning in verse 13. And this is what God says through the Apostle Paul. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Storehouse, I miss you. I love you. We will see you guys on Sunday. Amen and amen.